I'll be reading from verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And, though and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, excitement that I feel about preaching this sermon might not be reflected in the congregation who are uh, thinking again nervously, what's Mark going to speak about when it comes to money? But uh, please stay with me and I'm sure that you'll find this uplifting and encouraging as I've... Uh, been preparing this all week. There's some really great and wonderful teaching here and I'm really excited to uh, be able to, to share it with you this morning. So please don't worry, stay with me to the end and uh, if you have any questions or you find it confronting then uh, speak to me afterwards. Well I, I want to begin by the idea that gospel generosity as Paul is talking about flows out of the gospel. There are actually uh, seeds of the gospel that go with our gospel generosity. So if we want to understand what Paul is talking about here in uh, gospel generosity, we actually need to understand the nature of who God is. And so we need to go back to an understanding of the Trinity because Paul's saying from the very essence of who God is flows this generosity. And if we look at the Trinity, we get an understanding of what Paul is talking about here. So let's take a look at God, the Creator. So Paul is talking about God by its very nature is generous, so giving, but also God by its very nature is other-centered. So God, the Creator, in God's generosity, God was uh, creating all the heavens and the earth. God didn't need to create the heavens and the earth, God didn't need to create humanity, but out of God's great generosity comes the great creation that we know as earth and the universe and all that is in it. God sits above this and therefore God is other-centred in terms of not looking in on God's self, but creating the world and everything in it in order to uh, be others-centred. And so God the Creator is generous. 
And God, the Creator, looks at the world and looks at the frailty of humanity, looks at the cycle of sin and repentance, sin and repentance, and knows in its generosity that something needs to break this cycle, and so sends God's only Son, Jesus, into the world. So God the Father, in His generosity, sends His only Son into the world. But what's the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus isn't to come to the earth and sort everybody out. It's not to come to the earth and create a military uh, force that will overthrow the Romans. No, Jesus comes on earth to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand and point people to the Father in heaven. And then God, the Son, in its generosity, uh, takes up the cross so that we don't have to. Takes the weight of sin and shame on God's self in order that we don't have to. God, in the Son, in its generosity, by the Son, Jesus's very nature, is generous in taking on the cross so that we don't have to. And is others-centered because Jesus didn't need to go to the cross for himself. Jesus is others-centered in knowing that when Jesus takes up the weight of sin on the cross, everybody else it can be in right relationship with his Father in heaven. So Jesus is uh, pointing towards his Father, but also taking up that generosity. And then we take on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised by God to come into the world, but what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit never points to itself. The Holy Spirit always leads people into a deeper understanding of a relationship with Jesus. So the other-centeredness of the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus. That's why when people read the Scriptures, when people come to worship, when people participate in the Lord's Supper, it's the Holy Spirit that is awakening them to what is going on and pointing not to itself, but to who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross through the resurrection, and ultimately that points back to God the Creator. So the Holy Spirit, each one of the three persons of the Trinity, is other-centered and generous in its very nature, and pointing to someone else in the Trinity rather than themselves. None of the members of the Trinity are drawing people to themselves, but pointing to someone else in the Trinity. And all three equal parts of the Trinity are important in the Gospel. And Paul is saying that gospel generosity flows from that, from that other-centeredness, from that very generous nature of who God is, that's where gospel generosity comes from. So Paul is writing to the, the church in Corinth and saying, uh, don't give grudgingly, because if you're giving grudgingly, then you're not actually giving out of the nature of God, because God didn't spare His only Son, God the Son didn't spare Himself from the cross. The Holy Spirit didn't uh, say, well, I'll come for those who are only Christians. No, the Holy Spirit comes drawing everyone to Christ. And so, by its very nature, the Trinity is giving and other-centered. And therefore, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and say that we start to follow Jesus, we take on that gospel generosity, that other-centeredness, that that nature of giving of ourselves, not grudgingly, but joyfully. So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we start to 
follow Jesus, our goal is to become like Jesus. Our goal is to be generous as God is generous. And so, when we start to follow who Jesus is and who Jesus has been to us, we start to take on that generosity of who God is. And God is a generous God. And therefore, it says here in the Scriptures, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know, I, I know some of you are nervous because there are people who've corrupted this, this passage to say, well, you know, if you give generously to the church, then you're going to receive a blessing in the future. And we kind of call that the prosperity gospel. What Paul is saying here is not a prosperity gospel. What Paul is saying here is, God by its very nature is a cheerful giver. And so, if we become cheerful givers, then we're actually transforming ourselves to be more like Christ. And God who is able to bless you abundantly, so that you have all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, when you realise that God has blessed you abundantly out of God's generosity, then you're going to start to overflow with that generosity as well. When you realise that God has cheerfully given to you, then you're going to start cheerfully giving to other people. And Paul is using this offering of a, of a church in Corinth and a church in Macedonia, as I said last week, to give to a, a, a church in Jerusalem, he's using this to teach them some theological points. And rather than just focusing on the collection, we need to understand the theological points that Paul is teaching to us. And so, when we think God loves a cheerful giver, it's not just that when we give, we're supposed to give with a smile on our face. No, it actually, it means so much more than that. Because Paul is saying, God is a generous, cheerful giver, and therefore when we start to give cheerfully, not focused on what we've lost, but on what we have the opportunity to bless, then we start to take on the very generosity that God has demonstrated to us. And I think in recent times, we can think so clearly about how Queen Elizabeth II was an example of this. Somebody who was noted and for her, her constant service, her constant giving of herself, the constant relentlessness of the work in which she did for people, and the fact that she seemed to always do it for a smile, with a smile. It's this idea of serving other people, other-centeredness with a generous heart, and not begrudging the thing that you've lost, your own personal time, your own sense of getting to do what you want to do, but giving it so freely as Jesus did. And the idea that I mentioned last week in the Garden of Gethsemane was, uh, or, or several weeks ago, was of Peter and Judas. But think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is other-centered and he doesn't go to the cross naive of what's going on. He doesn't go to the cross without any understanding of what it's going to cost him. But he doesn't focus on what it costs him, he focuses on what it's going to achieve. And so he knows that his mission was from his Father. And because he's other-centred, he's focused on drawing people to his Father, he's going to take up the cross out of his generosity. And we could say that it cost Jesus immensely to take up the cross. And so Paul is saying when we become followers of Jesus and we start to become like Jesus, it's going to cost us. 
It's going to pay, be a bear, bear a burden to us. But we're focused on how God gives us everything and therefore everything belongs to God. And again, this verse that's on the screen, maybe you can't... But God has blessed us abundantly and provided us with everything in everything we need, but in good times and in bad times, so that we will be abound in every good work. You see, in the Old Testament time, they talked about a tithe, which was 10%. And then there was all these rules around every seven years, you had to relieve the debts. And then every uh, jubilee year, you had to wipe all debts and let the land go fertile. And there was all these rules around how that was to take place. And so in many ways, because of the Old Testament law, people grew up in the Old Testament times, ancient Israelites grew up with a compulsion to follow these rules. If you were Jewish, if you were a follower of Yahweh, you had to abide by all these laws. And if you didn't, it was a reminder of how weak you were and how you were in need of God and you had to come to the temple and probably even pay a temple tax in order to repent of the fact that you hadn't been generous in your life. There were all these rules and regulations and Paul is coming along and saying, I'm about to take up this collection but give generously to it and give cheerfully to it, not out of compulsion. He's not saying that the Old Testament law applies here. He's not saying you need to set aside a tenth of your income in order to give to the church in Jerusalem. He's saying, give generously. And so if people are able to give a twentieth of their, uh, their income to this offering, then they should give that generously. They shouldn't decide that they're only going to give what is required. They should decide in their heart what they are free to give and then give that. And if people can't give generously, because of their circumstances, it doesn't rule them out from being part of the church. Paul is removing the laws and the compulsion to give and saying, when we understand that everything comes from God and that everything we have has been provided by God for us to be a blessing to the world, then we don't start saying, oh, a tenth of that belongs to serving and the other 90% belongs to me. Famously, uh, Rick Warren, a pastor in the US, when he wrote a book that uh, became an international bestseller, he decided that for him, he would actually commit to giving 90% and living off the 10% because for him, the decision in his heart was that that was what God was calling him to. But it's not about being legalistic. Paul is removing those legalistic ideas and saying, when we understand that everything belongs to God and God has provided abundantly for us, then we're not focused on what we've lost, but we give generously because it becomes an act of worship. Paul is saying that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus means that we give as an act of worship. It becomes a generosity that flows out of what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, and a faith of what God will do in the future. I remember uh, working in a church and there was a guy called Gary. Gary was living on a pension and was living in a, a house that he didn't own. And in many ways, he had some uh, burdens on his life that you would think uh, the simple pension wouldn't even be able to cover uh, what he needed for his life. He had lots of health concerns and uh, you would think that maybe even 
any spare money he could fix his, some of his health concern. But Gary knew that following Jesus meant that everything that he had belonged to God. And so out of his very limited resources, he, he, he said that he wanted to commit to being a financial partner of the church. Now, he was probably one of the most generous givers I've ever met as a percentage of his income. So if he was following the Old Testament law of 10%, then he would have exceeded that and would be able to boast. But he never did. There was uh, a time in the lockdown where he said he, 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 he didn't want the money sitting in his house because he, he didn't want to be tempted to, to do uh, something that he hadn't committed in his heart, which was to, to spend it for himself rather than give it to God. And so he, 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 he said, can I do a drive-by offering? So he pulled up to the church car park and we wound down the window and he handed over an envelope and I could just tell even from the, the size of the envelope that it was more generous than he could probably have. And I said to him, I said to him, Gary, are you sure that this is okay? And he said, Mark, it, it doesn't belong to me. It's not my decision whether I keep it or not. It belongs to God and I made a commitment to be a part of the church. So we prayed the prayer of, of, of collection that we, we pray every week here at the church and, um, and then he drove on his way. And I thought, it's such a lesson to me of, of a generous giver, a generous giver who understands that everything that he had, which was very limited by worldly standards, had come from God and that everything that he had belonged to God and he wasn't deciding on, on percentages, he wasn't applying a rule he was giving generously. You see, when people come to faith in Jesus, they don't give because they believe that giving saves them. It's because they are saved that they give generously. And when people put their faith in Jesus, they don't give in order to somehow receive a future blessing. They know that because they have been blessed, then they are free to be a blessing to other people. So in the weeks ahead, as we lead into our annual meeting, I'm going to be talking about membership I'm going to be talking about financial partnership and I'm going to be mentioning this thing called the electoral role. You see, membership is a term that perhaps we use in the church to think of all of those people who belong to St. Columns or, or feel that St. Columns is their home. They feel part of the church. They think that this is their church community and therefore they want to commit to it. And so in many ways, they, they want to be a member of St. Columns but they could be a member of a small group every week and that makes them members of, of St. Columns. They might want to serve in a ministry or maybe they don't have the time to serve in a ministry, but that's okay. Maybe they have the opportunity to join us here for Sunday, but it's not like we've sort of got to roll out the back and, and you've got to uh, tick off a certain number of Sundays in order to be a member here. No, if you call St. Columns home, then you're free to be in membership. But the person who comes once for the faith they're not a member here because they're not committing that this is their church community. So we're not excluding anyone. It's just we, we, we need to understand as we sort of make plans for our future ministry, who are the people that say this is their home and they're committed to this place? Again, we'll talk about financial partnership because as we look at planning for our 2023 budget, we kind of need to know who are those people that, like Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth, commit to the life of the church, including all the financial costs of the life of the church? Who are the people that are, are contributing their financial resources to the financial resources of the church? And perhaps in the past we've used terms like regular giver or people who make a donation to the church, 
But Paul is talking about so much more than a person who regularly gives because when Paul talks about being a, a Christian in the church of Corinth and contributing to the financial costs of the church and the wider church, he's saying that that by its very nature means that you're taking on the financial responsibility of the church. And in many ways, we might use the term ownership. It gives you ownership because it's, it's like you're invested in the place. So as we use the term financial partnership, I hope nobody feels excluded here. And I hope nobody feels that we're somehow applying some membership fee and membership rule. If you want to be a financial partnership here, then some people, uh, like a young adult that I met and they had, had uh, a very poor university lifestyle and they, they committed to giving 25% of their very limited pocket money to the church. And, and many of us, even if we gave 1%, would be giving more than this person did as 25% of their income. So it's not about a percentage, it's just about saying that when there's a financial need in the church, we'll take ownership of that. So it's like uh, somebody I know when, and, and not in this church, but a previous church that I was in, when they heard that there were some young adults who wanted to go to a youth leadership training event in Brisbane and that they were struggling with it financially, they knew that that was a financial cost of the church and so they just bought the flight tickets to, the, to, to Brisbane. A financial partner is somebody, when they see a need in the church, they don't say, well, it's somebody else's job. They say, well, I contribute to the life of this church. And so financial partners see a need and fill it. And financial partnership could even look like the fact, like many people did last week, where they, where they have a cost for sowing into the faith and they just don't give us the receipts. That's financial partnership as well. And then we're going to talk in the weeks ahead about electoral role. And that's people who want to give to the governance of this church. So the electoral role are the people that vote for office bearers in the church at the annual meeting. They vote for the wardens, they vote for the treasurer and they vote for the parish council. So let me be clear, St Paul is suggesting that every person who follows Jesus gives to the life of the church. But Paul doesn't say that anybody who's not in a position to give is excluded from it. Nobody who didn't give to the offering to the church in Jerusalem was excluded from the church. So financial partnership, electoral role or membership here at this church shouldn't be exclusive. There's no special perks, you don't get a special seat, um, you don't get an extra hot coffee in the cafe. It's about freely giving because Jesus gave to us. And I want to finish with this point that comes from this uh, passage in, in the reading from verse 12 to 13. This service that you performed is not only supplying the need of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you provided yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everybody. So Paul is taking a collection to help in the church in Jerusalem. But what does he suggest is the outcome of this gospel generosity? Yes, Paul is very clear that this collection will fulfill a need in Jerusalem. But it's so much more than that. Gospel generosity has an outcome that's so much more than that. Because gospel generosity is tied to the very nature of who God is, it actually, it's almost like that when we share gospel generosity, it's like it has seeds of the gospel built into it 
and the joy that we experience in giving because it comes from the very nature of God, actually that joy is what's sown into the generosity and that joy is what people receive. And so whilst they have their needs met and they might say thank you for that, they go much further than that because they start to think, what's the source of the joy that led to the generosity? And they want to know more because they see the seeds of the gospel embedded in that generosity. And they start to pick up that there's something more at work that they can't articulate, but they want to know more. And so I think what we experienced last week at the fate was the seeds of gospel generosity. And we don't know when they'll germinate or what will happen with that, but we just trust that because God blessed us and called us through the Holy Spirit into a relationship with Jesus, that something will happen from what we sowed last week that will lead more people to be led by the Holy Spirit into a relationship with Jesus. And so the seeds of gospel generosity that we sowed through joy and service last week created an atmosphere that was absolutely amazing. And I think you could feel the tangible uh, presence of God there. But as I said in a video last week to to the church, people didn't understand what that was. People don't understand that that was the presence of God. People don't understand that that's gospel generosity at work but a bit like Jesus, who knew Nathaniel before Nathaniel came to understand who Jesus was, we trust that those people who came last week will come at some point to understand the seeds of gospel generosity that were sown last week. And so we pray that the seeds sown last week will come to fruition. And I'll leave us with this idea. We need to expect that our generosity will be blessed by God that God will work, that when God said He'll build His church, that we believe that. So, I wonder what God will do with the seeds of generosity. I wonder what God will do through this church. You see, I hope that more people come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. I have some kind of idea and hope that this will be a church known for God's presence. And God's presence is known in so many ways, whether it's in sharing discussions at small group or reading scriptures or singing God's praises or or participating in playgroup. There are so many ways that God's presence is available to us and I hope we become a church known by that. But just as God the Father created the world for us and God the Son took up the cross for us and the Holy Spirit led us into an understanding of who Jesus is for us, I hope those seeds of generosity that are sown in us will start to be seeds of generosity sown throughout our community. And so let us pray for an outpouring of gospel generosity because as Paul says, an outpouring of gospel generosity doesn't stop with needs in Jerusalem being met. It leads to more people coming to faith and that's something that I suppose all of us want to be a part of. So as the music team come up to lead us next hymn, I'll just, gracious God, we thank you for this example of gospel generosity of a collection that was taken in Corinth so long ago to meet the needs in the church in Jerusalem. And we thank you that that's the inspiration that comes from the gospel and from who you are. We pray that that's our example and that as we give cheerful, it's not out of compulsion, but it's because you were a cheerful giver to us. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. So please stand as we sing. Mm -hmm.